Chapter 12 of Captain Antifer by Jules Verne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by Joe Denoya, Somerset, New Jersey. Chapter 12. When Tregomain asked Jules to point out on the map the precise point where Muscat was situated, he could not believe his eyes. The ex-captain of the Rance Barge transported to this place, so far, so very far, to the seas of the Asiatic continent. And so, Jules, we are at the end of Arabia? he asked, adjusting his eyeglasses. Yes, at the southeast extremity. And what is that gulf there, finishing like a funnel? That is the Gulf of Oman. And this other, which looks like the leg of a salt marsh? That is the Persian Gulf. And the strait that unites them? Those are the Straits of Ormuz. And our friend's island? Ought to be somewhere in the Gulf of Oman. If it is there, replied the parchment, taking care that Antifer was not within earshot. The Sultanate of Muscat, lying between the 53rd and 57th meridians, and the 22nd and 27th parallels, extends to about 350 miles in length and 180 in breadth. To this should be added the stretch of the Persian coast from Laristan to Mogistan, another stretch of coast from Ormuz to Kistrum, and certain settlements on the coast of Africa. With the addition of these, its area is about the same as that of France, and it has ten millions of inhabitants. Arabs, Persians, Hindus, Jews, and a large number of Negroes. The Sultan is consequently a sovereign of a certain amount of importance. In ascending the Gulf of Oman, the Oxus had coasted a desolate, sterile shore, bordered with high perpendicular cliffs. Behind them rose a few hills, about 1,500 feet high, the outlying spurs of the range of Jebel Akdan, which runs up to 3,000 feet. It is not to be wondered at that the country is barren, for it is watered by no river of real importance, although the environs of the capital yield enough to support a population of 16,000. There is plenty of fruit, grapes, mangoes, peaches, figs, pomegranates, watermelons, citrons and lemons, and dates are in profusion. The date tree is the chief tree of the district. By it, the value of property is estimated, and people talk of an estate of three or four thousand date trees, as we do one of two or three hundred acres. There is all the more trade in the sultanate, owing to the sultan being not only the chief of the state and the high priest of religion, but the chief merchant of the district. Under his flag are two thousand ships, whose total tonnage exceeds thirty-seven thousand, and is a navy of a hundred vessels armed with several hundred guns. His army consists of 25,000 men, and his revenue almost amounts to a million pounds. His power is absolute in the country, which was conquered by Albuquerque in 1507, and afterwards threw off the Portuguese yoke. Having recovered his independence a century ago, it has been supported by the English, who probably hope after the Gibraltar of Spain, the Gibraltar of Aden, the Gibraltar of Perim, to form the Gibraltar of the Persian Gulf, and finish by Gibraltarizing all the straits of the globe. Had Captain Antifer and his companions any political object in coming to Muscat? Not the least. Were they interested in the country? Not at all, for their attention was concentrated on one of the islands in the Gulf. But had they no opportunity of studying the state of affairs in the Sultanate? Yes, for their intention was to enter into communication with the representative of France in this corner of Arabia. Antifer thought it advisable to call on the agent at once. The police of the country, who were well organized, 
will probably have their suspicions regarding the arrival of three strangers at Muscat, unless some plausible reason could be given for the voyage. But it would never do to give the real reason. The Oxus was due to start for Bombay within 48 hours. Antifer, Tregamine, and Jewel landed immediately. They did not trouble themselves about Ben Omar and Nazim, but left them to find out their movements and accompany them when they began their search in the Gulf. Our three friends followed a guide to an English hotel across the squares and streets of this modern Babylon. Their luggage followed. How carefully they carried the sextant and the chronometer bought at St. Malo, particularly the chronometer, which Antifer would entrust to no one but himself. By its aid, the longitude of the famous island was to be determined. With what punctuality he had wound it up every day. What precautions he had taken to save it from the shocks that might interfere with its regularity. When the travelers had taken their rooms, they went off to interview the consular agent, who was much surprised to see three Frenchmen appear at his door. He was a Provencal of some fifty years of age, his name being Joseph Bard. His business was in white and manufactured cottons, in Indian shawls, in Chinese silks, in gold and silver embroideries, all of them articles in much request among the wealthy Orientals. Among Frenchmen, particularly when one of them is a native of Provence, Acquaintance is soon made. Antifer introduced himself and his companions. After shaking hands and offering refreshments, the agent asked his visitors the object of their voyage. I do not often receive a visit from my countrymen, he said, and it is a pleasure to welcome you. Anything I can do for you, I will. We are much obliged to you, answered Antifer, for you can be very useful to us in giving us some information regarding the country. Is this merely a pleasure trip? Yes and no. We are all of us sailors, my nephew, long voyage captain, Gildas Tregamine, and old commander of the Charmante Amelie. And this time, to his friend's extreme satisfaction, he spoke of the barge as if it were a frigate. And I am a coasting captain, he added. We have been sent out by an important house at St. Malo to open a branch establishment, either at Muscat, or at one of the ports in the Gulf of Oman, or in the Persian Gulf. Sir, said Bard, only too glad to have something to say about the matter which would certainly add to his profits. I can but approve of your plans and offer you my services towards making them successful. In that case, said Jewel, we would ask if our branch had to be better opened at Muscat or at some other town on the coast. At Muscat by preference, said Bard. The place is daily increasing in importance by its communications with Persia, India, Mauritius, Reunion, Zanzibar, and the coast of Africa. And what are its exports? asked Dragomane. Dates, raisins, sulfur, fish, copal, gum arabic, shells, rhinoceros horn, oil, coconuts, rice, millet, coffee, and sweets. Sweets? asked the bargeman, licking his lips with the tip of his tongue. Yes, sir, replied Bard. Sweets they call kuwa in this country, which are made of honey, sugar, gluten, and almonds. We will taste them. As much as you would like, said Antifer. But let us return to the question. It was not to eat sweets that we came to Muscat. Monsieur Bard has kindly told us the chief articles of commerce. To which I should add the pearl fishery in the Persian Gulf, said the agent, which fishery is of the annual value of 320,000 pounds. You should have seen the disdainful pout with which Antifer greeted this. Pearls to the value of 320,000 was but a trifle to a man who possessed 4 million pounds in precious stones. True, said Bard. The pearl trade is in the hands of the Hindu merchants, who will admit 
of no competition. Not even for Muscat, asked Jewel. Not even for Muscat, where the merchants are not particularly pleased at seeing strangers establish themselves. Jewel took advantage of this remark to give the conversation another turn. As Muscat is in 50 degrees 20 minutes east, and 23 degrees 28 minutes north, it followed that the island they were in search of was beyond it. Evidently, they must leave Muscat on pretense of discovering a favorable place for his imaginary branch establishment, and what Jewel did was to remark that it would be wise to visit the other towns of the Sultanate before settling on Muscat, and he then asked what these towns were. There's Oman, said Bard. To the north of Muscat? No, to the southeast. And in the north or northeast? The most considerable town is Rostock. On the Gulf? No, in the interior. And on the Gulf? There is Sohar. How far is that from here? About a hundred and twenty-five miles. A wink from Jewel made his uncle understand the importance of this reply. Is there much trade at Sohar? A good deal. The Sultan often resides there, when such is the fancy of his highness. His highness, exclaimed Tregomain. Evidently, the title sounded agreeably in the bargeman's ears. Perhaps it ought properly to be reserved for the Grand Turk, but Bard thought otherwise. His highness is at Muscat, he added, and when you have decided on a town for your offices, you'll have to apply for his permission. Which his highness will not, I hope, refuse us, asked Antifer. On the contrary, replied the agent, he will be most happy, provided you pay the fees. Antifer indicated by a gesture that he was prepared to pay for the privilege right royally. And how do we get to Sohar, asked Jewel. By caravan. By caravan, ejaculated the bargeman, evidently uneasy. Well, said Bard, we have no railway or tramways in the Sultanate. You can go in a cart or on a mule, unless you prefer to walk. These caravans only start at long intervals, I suppose, said Jewel. Pardon, said the agent. There is a very active trade between Muscat and Sohar. One starts tomorrow. Tomorrow, said Antifer. That will suit us splendidly. Tomorrow we will caravan it. The prospect of having to caravan it was evidently not pleasant to Tregamine, to judge by the grimace he made. But he had not come to Muscat for the purpose of throwing obstacles in the way, and he had to resign himself to traveling under such painful conditions. But I do not see, said the bargeman, why we cannot go by water to Sahar. A hundred twenty-five miles in a boat. Why not, said Antifer. Trigamain is right. We should gain time. Undoubtedly, said Bard, and I should be the first to advise you to go by sea if there were not certain dangers. What dangers, asked Jewel. The Gulf of Oman, gentlemen, is not safe. As a trading vessel with a large crew, there might not be much to fear. Fear, said Antifer. Fear of a few squalls? No, pirates, who are rather plentiful in the Straits of Ormuz. Confound it, said Antifer. But to do him justice, he was only thinking of what he should do on his return with the treasure. In short, our travelers resolved not to return by sea, and thought it useless to go to Sahar by sea under the circumstances. They would go with one caravan, and return with another, and thus travel in safety. Here the interview ended, the travelers promising to call on their return and report the results of their inquiries, in the hope of profiting by his advice. Antifer even having the audacity to remark that the establishment of their branch would bring an important business by which the agency would profit. Before they went away, 
Bard renewed his offer to introduce them to his highness, and undertook to obtain an audience for such distinguished foreigners. And then the said distinguished foreigners departed for their hotel. Meantime, in a room in the same hotel, Ben Omar and Nazim were conferring together. They had arrived at Muscat, but they were still unaware if Muscat were the end of the voyage. Was Antifer going further? It was for Ben Omar to know this. He had a right to know it, and he knew no more about it than Sahuk. That is the consequence of having been so beastly ill, said he. Why could you not have been well? May your excellency be calm, said Ben Omar. This very day I will see Mr. Antifer, and I will learn, providing he is not going on board again. Surely Antifer would not refuse to give a direct answer as to the whereabouts of this island, for the will distinctly stated that the executor must be present when a legacy was dug up. But when the island was reached and the three precious barrels handed over, how was Saouk to obtain possession of them? Several times the notary had asked this without receiving an answer, for the very good reason that Saouk did not know what to say. It was clear enough that he was stick at nothing in seizing on a fortune which he looked upon as his, and in which Kamalik had deprived him to a stranger's advantage. And this was what frightened the inoffensive, conciliatory notary, who hated nothing so much as force, knowing that His Excellency thought no more of a man's life than of a dry fig. In any case, it was essential to follow the three Frenchmen, keep them in sight during their investigations, and assist at the exhumation of the treasure. And when they had got the treasure, to act according to the circumstances. This being agreed upon, His Excellency went out, giving the notary orders to watch for Antifer's return to the hotel. This return did not take place until late in the evening. Tregamine and Jewel went for a stroll in the streets of Muscat, while Antifer, in imagination, went for a walk a hundred miles or so away to the east of Sohar on the shore of his island. It would have been useless to have asked him for his impression of Muscat. He noticed nothing while Jewel and the bargemen were interested in everything they saw in this very oriental town. They stopped in front of the shops and gazed at the heaps of merchandise of all sorts. The turbans, the belts, the woolen cloaks, the cotton cloths, and the murderbond jars resplendent with colored enamel. At the sight of these fine things, Jewel thought of the pleasure his beloved Enogate would have in possessing them. What a reminder it would be of this inconvenient voyage. And these jewels, Curiously worked, these articles of artistic value, would she not be all the more pleased at receiving them from the hands of her betrothed? Yes, far more so than with the diamonds promised her by her uncle. This was Tregamain's idea, and he said to the young friend, We will buy that necklace for the little one, and you can give it to her when you get back. When we get back, said Jewel, sighing. And that pretty ring, let us have ten rings, one for each of her fingers. Of what is my Enogate thinking, murmured Jewel. Thinking, said the bargeman. Why, thinking of you, of course. And we are separated by hundreds and hundreds of leagues. Ah, interrupted the bargeman, don't forget to buy a pot of those sweets the agent boasted about. Had we better not try them before we buy? No, my boy, no, replied Tregmaine. I intend Enogate to have first taste. And if she does not like them? She will think them delicious because it is you who have brought them from such a distance. How well the excellent man knew a girl's heart, although no girl, either at St. Malo or St. Servan or Denard, had ever thought of becoming Madame Tregamine. In short, neither of them regretted their walk through the capital of the Sultanate, the appearance and cleanliness of which many a European city might envy. 
with the exception, of course, of the birthplace of Antifer, which he considered one of the first cities of the world. Jewel noticed, however, that there were a large number of police about who seemed to be very suspicious, and that they carefully watched these new arrivals at Muscat, who had given no account of what brought them there. Unlike the meddlesome police of certain European states, who require passports and require answers to untimely questions, these police confined themselves to following the strangers at a distance. And the strangers would never be allowed to leave the Sultan's territory without the Sultan knowing why they had come there. Fortunately, Captain Antifer had no suspicions of what was going on, for he would have been in a terrible state of fear for the success of his adventure. To take several millions away from an island in the Gulf of Oman was what His Highness would never permit. In Europe, the state takes half of all treasure trove. In Asia, the sovereign, who is the state, does not hesitate to take the whole. When Antifer returned to the hotel, he was visited by Ben Omar. Opening the door just a little way, the notary put in his head, and in his most insinuating tone asked, May I know? What? May I know, Mr. Antifer, in what direction we are going? First to the right, second to the left, and then straight on. And thereupon Captain Antifer shut the door with a bang. End of chapter 12